The Green Bay Packers drafted 13 players, but they also have a streak of almost two decades of taking and keeping a UDFA on the roster into the regular season. Can they keep the streak going? Who of these long shot type players could actually get a chance to make an impact for the 2023 Green Bay Packers? Jason Hirschhorn, America's guest, joins us on the show today to talk about his UDFA prospectus and a lot more. Caught by Watson. You are locked on Packers. He's got great speed. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Christian Watson down the sideline. Locked on podcast network. And he will score. Your team every day. You are locked on Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for The Leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. America's guest, Jason Hirschhorn, joins us on the show today to talk about his UDFA perspective that he wrote about on The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. And then because they took so many players, it's a shorter UDFA perspective than normal because it's a it's a long shot. One of these guys actually makes the team. So we're talking about some of these seventh round picks as well. I don't know that we're going to get through 13 rookie orientation series, series, uh, series I, um, but I think that's why we we get a good opportunity here to talk about some of these players. We're going to try, by the way, because I think guys like Carrington Valentine and Anthony Johnson Jr. and Grant DeBose have a path to being actual players for the Packers, if not in 2023, maybe in 2024, or at the very least special teams players, backups who have an opportunity that they're one or two injuries away from, from playing. So I think it's important to know who these guys are um, and so we're going to get a chance to, to dig into all of that. Before we get to Jason, today's episode brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Looking for a delicious snack, but don't want all the sugar and the calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever. Built, I had one today. I'm bringing them to the hospital with me um, to, to make sure I have my healthy snack that tastes delicious. I cannot think of a better endorsement of a product then I am putting it in my hospital bag for my wife giving birth. I am bringing it with me. It is a comfort food for me. And yet, unlike a lot of comfort food, and by the way, plenty of the food that I'm bringing for snack-wise, not healthy, which is exactly why it's great to have built, because 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, but 17 grams of protein. That is what you want. And it comes in incredible flavors. I have the coconut puff that I'm bringing with me, the peanut butter puff that I'm bringing with me, the uh, cookies and cream puff that I'm bringing with me. How can, like if you're a Wisconsin person, cream puff, like they don't, it's not actually cream puff, but it's cookies and cream puff. It's protein infused marshmallow. Come on now. Come on now. I shouldn't have to sell it any more than that. They really deliver on the taste plus the macros. And now you don't have to go to built.com to get them, though you can. I still do for sure. But let's say you're just at Sam's Club because you're doing your grocery shopping and that's where you go. Hey, cool. Buy a 13 bar box there. Go to Walmart. Just happen to be at Walmart. Got to pick something up. Got to pick up a bunch of stuff. You can buy a box there as well. Eat them in the car on the way home. You, you might want to. 
Joining me now for the second time this week, America's guest and my co-founder at The Leap, Jason Hershorn. Jason, uh, good to be with you yet again. We get to do um, your annual series, one of my favorite things that you put out every year, um, the UDFA Prospectus. And um, this is a weird year because uh, the, they, the Packers have a lot of draft picks and they're not going to have a lot of room for undrafted free agents. So we're going to talk about the the players that you highlighted, but I also want to talk about some of the late round picks who I also think kind of fall into this same sort of long shot bucket in terms of like seventh round picks don't normally make a lot of rosters, but have a chance in Green Bay. Let's start here because there is a name that a lot of college football fans probably know, and that's Bretton Cox. Tell me more about, about Bretton Cox. So he's not just a notable name. If you just looked at where he went to college, his productivity, and you know the athletic measurements that he was able to produce, you would assume that this guy is going among the top 100 picks. Now, that is not to say that this guy is going to have that kind of impact, because we don't know that, obviously. But he's just a very strange UDFA for the Packers. They typically do not sign this kind of player who is – who went undrafted almost exclusively for reasons that have nothing to do with on the field. Yeah. So I just want to throw some numbers at you. These were included in the article, but I think these really drive home how strange of a UDFA he is just in general. So if you look at his four seasons over five years, he started at Georgia, transferred to Florida, set out the 2019 season. And you're just looking at the win right now. This is a stat that Pro Football Focus does. It combines all the kinds of pressures on a per-pass rush basis or per-pass rush snap basis. So he led Georgia as a true freshman in win rate, pass rush win rate, at 30%. He then, in his first season— Wait, wait, hold on. Does does Georgia have any other good defensive players that we might have heard of? There are a few of those guys. You you (laughs) might have heard some of them might also be teammates in Green Bay for him. But then you jump to Florida and his first season there, 2020, he is number one on the team in pass rush win rate again. The following season, 2021, number one in pass rush win rate. Mm -hmm. And then this last season, he finishes second, but that number still ticks up to the highest of his career. And again, these are highly talented SEC teams. So you look at that production and you you kind of marvel at it, and then I want to throw another number at you to put those into context. Now, he it was 30% his first season, 23.4% his first season with Florida. That was his second overall season, 26.5% his penultimate season, and 30.4% his final season. The Packers' first-round pick this season mm-hmm. had a 33.9% win rate, and the year before had 16.6. And this is someone who was viewed as a consensus first-round pick. So on pass rush advanced metrics here, we're talking about a guy who's producing commensurate with, not, I mean, multiple first-round picks. He's, Lucas Van Ness was not the only one. So his, he's putting up some truly fantastic disruption. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, sometimes that happens at college, but they're not great athletes. You know, we've seen this before. Jarvis Jones at Georgia, for example, highly productive college player, just not an NFL caliber athlete that panned out in the league after he got there. Well, then you look at his scores. Now, he's not like an upper upper echelon athlete, but he's well above average, and he's a pretty sizable player for that 3-4 outside linebacker position. So he's not lacking on the physical front either. So he's putting up the production. He's got the physicals. It's kind of surprising that a player like this wouldn't get drafted, but then, and, and I'll let you tee this up, he had a few issues in college. 
Yeah, if all you knew about the player was the stat line and where he went to school, starting as a true freshman and then starting for three years at Florida, that, that's all you knew. As you said, he'd be a top 100 pick. But he gets kicked out of Georgia uh, after a marijuana arrest. And then in Florida, there's been a lot of talk and reporting and things that I have heard about stuff going on behind the scenes there in the locker room. Um, and we know on the field, he got ejected for punching Broderick Jones, a first round pick at Georgia, and was eventually dismissed from that team as well. So then if all you knew about him was he got dismissed from two programs, despite all of the productivity, then you go, okay, yeah, this guy's not getting drafted. But you put all that together and you go, this is exactly the kind of player as a UDFA that you take a shot on because there's no risk. Like if he is a jerk in the summer or in the spring, you cut him and there's no problem there. Like this seems like the kind of player that if you're going to take this kind of risk with a kid who has, whether you want to call it maturity concerns, attitude concerns, whatever it is, UDFA, that's the time to do it. Yeah. And you don't want to get too much into the pop psychology with this, but you know, a consensus five-star recruit coming out of high school. I think it was like a top 20 national overall recruit when he was coming out. You know, you sometimes, not all the time, but you sometimes see that sort of mentality with those kind of recruits and players. And perhaps going undrafted can be the kind of thing that pushes him to make those positive changes. Obviously, we don't know, but we will find out. If he's able to hold things together in terms of the personality, in terms of the off the field, in terms of the locker room stuff, the talent is absolutely there. Like he is more talented than talented than a handful of players at his position that were drafted, you know, three, four, five rounds before. So from the Packers perspective, it's as you said, there's very little risk to them. If he's unable to turn around those issues, then they haven't really invested anything more than a small signing bonus. But if he can turn it around, the potential is there to be so much more than just a tertiary pass rusher. One of the surprises, I think, from this draft was that Brian Gutekunst did not take an offensive lineman, but they did get a, a UDFA offensive lineman that you highlighted in this story. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, and so Brian Gutekunst did talk about this to a certain degree, that because they've drafted so many offensive linemen, they drafted multiple the previous year, and they view their team as having a lot of depth at offensive line. You know, unless there was a guy that they felt like they just couldn't turn away, they weren't prioritizing that position. I think that's the way that it played out. But in terms of the undrafted guys, they, they had a few. There was one that they actually met with for a top 30 visit. I considered him for the list, but ultimately went this direction with Chuck, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher his last name, Philly, Philiaga. I, I'm sure that's wrong. I, I apologize to Chuck's family. But this is another guy. He was a four-star recruit coming out. He started at Michigan, and he played a variety of positions. He, he actually saw action in both guard spots, but he's built like a tackle. And athletically, you know, he checks a lot of those boxes that we know that the Packers look for. He's got an almost eight relative athletic score. He's 6'6", 321 pounds. So this is a guy who very plausibly could play tackle, even though his experience is at guard. And we know how much the Packers like that cross-training ability, right? Like if he could be someone who could plausibly start at right tackle and right guard, or maybe even left guard, like that's someone who's going to immediately have more opportunities to make that 53-man roster or the practice squad. And this is also a team that has a really good track record under the current staff, developing undrafted free agents into key reserve players and starters. You know, 
Yash Nyman was an undrafted player, much like this guy, just a few years ago. And he's in a position now, not just to start a right tackle for the second consecutive season, but you know, maybe to earn a long-term deal, whether it's with Green Bay or another team. So I, I'm not saying that this guy is going to turn into Yash. I want I want to always emphasize these are undrafted free agents. The chances of any of them becoming a you know a starting level player are not terribly high. But Green Bay does have particular veins that they like to go to with positions and certain body types. And this is one of them. He he definitely fits the bill of those undrafted free agent offensive linemen that find ways to stick around Green Bay and eventually go into more than just, you know, practice squad roles. All right, let's get back to Jason in just a second. Before we do, thanks for making Locked on Packers your first listen every day. Every dayers. We have more to come on the show next week. But if you missed anything earlier in the week, we had our Aaron Rodgers signature series with Jason Hershorn on the show talking about the 2009, happened in the year 2010, playoff game Aaron Rodgers playoff debut. We had Tucker Craft, his rookie orientation series, a ton of great stuff on the show this week. We've got more rookie orientation series coming up, more Rodgers signature series coming up on the show. Make sure you are subscribed to Locked on Packers wherever you get podcasts to have all of that right at your fingertips. All right, back to Jason. And just to give some perspective on this, um, Dame Brugler over at The Athletic puts together this incredible um, draft guide every year called The Beast. And that is where I always turn to when I'm trying to get a pronunciation, especially for like offensive linemen where I'm not going to be able to pull up a highlight from ESPN or something like that. Dane wrote up 28 reports on guards in the draft and Big Chuck from Minnesota, not one of them. He's the 36th guard for Dane Brugler. So that's how far down the list, just to, to your point about like, let's, let's, we don't have to do the Josh Diamond thing just because you bring him up as a reference point does not mean we think he's going to be that very different kind of player. The last one that you put on here before we talk about some of their late round picks that I want to ask you about is one that I, w- I was actually kind of surprised you put on this list and that's Cameron McDonald from Florida State. Why did he make the cut for you? So as we discussed the last time we did this show covering the UDFA prospectus, the, what really determines or what most determines was most predictive of whether UDFA is going to land a job on the 53 or the practice squad is just how easy that path is to a job. Hmm. And tight end does not have a lot of proven depth at the moment. You look at some of those other positions now, wide receiver, I thought they had some actually pretty intriguing UDFA options, but they just drafted three wide receivers a year after drafting three wide receivers. Yeah, that is just a harder depth chart to crack. Tight end, I'm not sure that's quite the case. As as I wrote in the piece, you know, after those two top 100 picks, obviously they're making the 53 unless they get hurt. You're looking at Josiah DeGuara. He's really more of a fullback and H-back. He's not truly a tight end in the way that they deploy him. There's Tyler Davis, who's you know there for special teams and the occasional offensive snap. He's not really someone that's blocking anybody in terms of the depth chart. And everybody else going into the draft at that position had not played a meaningful snap in the NFL. So there's opportunity at the tight end position for Green Bay. So you look at McDonald. He's someone who took a visit with the team. So we know that there's a little more interest in him. He doesn't have the best athletic profile. This is probably the way in which he's most of an outlier for Green Bay. But tight end is position, especially if you're able 
to you know block and do more than just line up as that wide tight end. You might be able to you know be a little more flexible on that front. So I looked at all of that. I looked at the interest they had in Green Bay and the opportunity at that position, and he was the one that stood out. And as you said at the top, this is going to be a tough year for UDFA to crack Green Bay's 53 or their practice squad. You know, they have a streak that's almost two decades long of keeping at least one on the opening day roster. And you know, there's a chance that that continues, but like this is the year, if any, where that breaks because of all of those rookie draft picks. So 13 is an astronomical number. I, I wrote in the prospectus <laughs> yeah. that the last time they had more than 13 draft picks in a given year, the draft was 12 rounds long. So just to give you an idea of how weird this class is wow. from a volume perspective. So let's say that the Packers draft ended after Carrington Valentine, their first seventh round pick. Would any of the next three guys have made the prospectus had you include had they been like UDFAs? So, that, so that's Lou Nichols from Central Michigan, the running back. For people who don't have it memorized, Anthony Johnson Jr., the safety from Iowa State, and Grant Dubose, the receiver from Charlotte. I mean, Anthony Johnson has an argument because kind of like with tight end safety, there just isn't a lot of established depth. So there are opportunities there. But Grant DeBose is the guy that stands out, not necessarily because you, know, you, you watch him on tape and you're like, oh, this, this guy should have gone five rounds earlier. I, I don't think anyone is saying that. It's more of if you're familiar with the Packers preferences at wide receiver, especially for those day three guys or undrafted free agents, he checks almost all of those boxes. He has yep. size. He has the athleticism in spades. Like this was a very like Jaden Reed was the first receiver they drafted and he's an above average athlete, but actually below the standard Green Bay usually has for size and athleticism for that position. Then you look at everyone else, you know, uh, Dontavian Wicks. I think I got that one right. Yep. And Grant DeBose are just supreme athletes for the position independent of where they got drafted. And you look at a guy who's that athletic, a guy who is going to be able to contribute on special teams. He actually highlighted that in his post-draft conference call, that it's it's something he's comfortable doing, something that he has done. I think Wicks did that as well. So there are multiple ways he can make the roster. And if you're looking at this from the perspective of Jason Vrabel, the Packers wide receivers coach or pass game coordinator, whatever his title is at this point, that's someone you're like, I can mold him in a year or two into being you know, more than just, oh, he plays on special teams and occasionally on offense when maybe there's some injuries. Like, there's stuff you can do with them. Like the the timed 40 speed is probably why he was still available in the seventh round. And by that, I just mean the 40, like the, that final number. The splits are a lot more interesting. He accelerates fast. Again, he's a superb athlete. And when you're a wide receiver, what tends to matter more is that burst at the start. And if he can figure out, you know, it doesn't have to be Devontae Adams in terms of releases. I mean, that would be an impossible standard for pretty much everybody. Mm -hmm. If he can just develop that part of his game a little bit, you can see how that could very quickly translate in him getting consistent snaps on offense. So he is a project. And again, that's why he was there in the seventh round and almost an undrafted free agent. But you can see that the ceiling for him is much higher than your typical seventh round pick. It is not a surprise to me that that is the answer that I would have given because I love Grant DuBose. I just have always, like, from the moment I first watched him, from, from when Jake Morley highlighted him as a Packers type to me, I went and watched and I was just like, yeah, this guy's a receiver. Like, you just watch him. He's one of those guys that just looks like he was born to play receiver. I'm really interested to see Lou Nichols um, because, like, the top end speed, another one where it's like, eh, not very good but the splits are good 
and the feel. Like I feel running back is a field position. He's got really good feel. I'm I'm really I think he could be one of those guys that like does the the thing where we get really excited about him. I don't know why Christian Michael was the first name that came to my mind, but in that sort of same vein where like he has one or two plays that makes everyone go, oh my God, this guy should be playing. And it's just sort of like, yeah, well, like he's a seventh round pick for a reason. Like, let's relax. But I I think like it's Patrick Taylor or him, right? For running back three. And Tyler Goodson will factor in there as well. Right, right, right. A pick from last year's UDFA perspective, so I should point out here, uh, Lou Nichols is interesting. So, well, I think the Christian Michael thing, I, I wonder if the reason you think that is because they're both were number 32. It could but, be. Yeah, it could just be like an aesthetics thing. <laughs> but, you know, we haven't seen him in pads in Green Bay yet, but we have seen him during rookie minicamp. And given that he weighs, I think it's like what, 220, 230 pounds. Yeah. I was actually surprised how like slender he looks. Like that is not, you know, a gut to 22, 30. That is a rocked up to 2230. So if he's able to bring that kind of mass, but not actually look like a big back in terms of just his stature, you know, there are a lot of ways in which a running back like that can work. You know, the lower center of gravity definitely helps with balance. It helps in pass protection if you're able to, you know, back it up with strength. I think that's going to be something that he's going to eventually be able to do if he develops as a pass protector. So I, you could see him having more than just, you know, a, a reserve role if he's able to stick in Green Bay because, you know, Aaron Jones, obviously top of the depth chart, A.J. Dillon right behind right. him. And then there is a gap. You know, they did not keep three true tailbacks on the opening day roster last season. So it doesn't mean that they'll keep two at the start of this season, obviously, but there is an opportunity there. And, and Lou Nichols, you know, he's competing with Tyler Goodson, who is you know, looks like he's 75 pounds lighter. You know, he's probably something closer to like 50 pounds lighter in all honesty, yeah. like 45, 50 in that range. And Patrick Taylor has been a serviceable tertiary back, but you know, how much more meat is there on the bone, right? Like he was an undrafted player himself out of Memphis. He has improved. We're probably seeing him at his limit, which is an NFL player that, that matters. But, you know, that we know that the Packers, especially with those, you know, back of the roster spots and with those practice squad spots, they like guys who they feel like they can develop into much more. And that may just not be Taylor's spot anymore, even if he's still the best of the three players going into camp. I It's funny because I think a lot of, for a lot of fans and even some media, like Anthony Johnson Jr. is the guy that stands out has got the easiest path to, to playing this year. And he is the player that we talked the least about in that group. But part of that is by design because he's had a lot of uh, ink spilled about him already. Jason, um, this is always a, a fun piece for me to read and and have you educate me on. So I appreciate you taking the time and we will see you back very soon. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks to Jason for joining the show. Great to talk to America's guest and my co-founder to leap a newsletter. I would love for you to subscribe to. Um, thanks for making locked on Packers. Your first listen every day, every day or tomorrow on the show. We will see um, because Tuesday we did the induction um, for my wife, I'm recording this in advance of that. So, um, I'm hoping to do a Friday show, but if not, we've got next week, rookie orientation series, Roger signature series, a lot of great stuff coming up in the coming weeks as we get toward mandatory minicamp and inch closer to actual football at training camp. All of that is coming up very soon on the Lockdown Packers podcast. So subscribe wherever you get podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, what I don't know. There's a million of those platforms out there, whatever you use. Great. 
Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. And come subscribe on YouTube. We're on YouTube now. All our shows are on YouTube. So if you want to watch us, great. If you want to come, come hang out with us when we go live, that's a great way to do it. So you can stay Locked on Packers.